So before I begin this standalone sermon that isn't going to be in a series here, but uh, uh, I'm calling it Our Disease and God's Antidote. And I want to ask you just a few questions before we get started. Number one, what's the worst thing that has ever happened in the history of the world? Wow, there's a heavy question for you, right? Maybe the Holocaust, atomic bomb, 9-11, Adam and Eve's sin. Well, whatever you come to your thoughts on for that, I want you to ask you, did God cause that? Did God allow that? And was God working in and through to bring healing through those events? And then the second question is, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you personally, individually in your life? Maybe the loss of a loved one, broken relationship, maybe an addiction, maybe issues around covid and again, the question is, did God cause those things to happen? Did God allow those things to happen? And is he there to heal and to help you through the pain and the distress? And of course, many times we just ask that overarching question of why do bad things happen to good people? And right about now, you're probably thinking, man, where's he going with this message? All this negativity that he's talking about and and I want to remind you that in every event, every situation you face, you need to ask yourself some pretty heavy questions. You need to uh, have some important action steps. Let's just glance at COVID and the pandemic for a minute. Lots of questions around that, right? Things like, what is the truth about it? Who do I trust in what they're telling me? Uh, am I in danger? What can I do? What should I do? Uh, what will be the impact on my actions or inactivities? And, and who or what can help me through this process? Well, in reality, those are great questions to ask about your spiritual health as well. Because the truth is, ever since Adam and Eve, there has been another pandemic. A pandemic that has to do with sin and sinful nature. And it's hereditary. It's in your DNA. You had it from conception. It's got a 100% fatality rate. Uh, no earthly vaccines for this disease. And you can try to avoid the reality or blame somebody else or act like it's not there or make excuses. But the fact is, your sinful nature is a real thing. And excuses are something we tend to use in our lives, aren't they? They're, they? You get pulled over by a policeman and you got your excuse ready as to why it was okay to break the law. Or you get in an accident that was your fault and, and you come up with excuses for the insurance company. These are some real excuses people used for car accidents. A pedestrian hit me and went under my car. What? The pedestrian had no idea which way to go, so I ran him over. Huh? My favorite one is the telephone pole was approaching quickly towards me I was attempting to swerve out of its path, and it struck the front of my car. Or the invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my vehicle, and then vanished. That's, that's a believable one. And then the indirect cause of this accident was a little guy in a little car with a big mouth. Yeah, we've heard those before, isn't it? But see, the truth is we all mess up and sin throughout our lives, and, and we need to not have those lame excuses when we sin, because 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and he'll forgive our sins, and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. What an incredible promise we get, but it comes with a premise. It says, if we confess our sins. 
if we own up to them. Now, the word confession comes from a word that means uh, to call it the same thing. So when you sin, don't be trying to make excuses. Don't be blaming somebody else. Don't be trying to wiggle your way out of it. Say, God, this was a sin. You call it a sin. I call it a sin. That's all there is to it. Now, will you please forgive me? And we find that in God's word. And, and we base our lives on the fact that God's word is the truth. So let's kind of focus on the truth for a minute. Because in reality, in the culture we live in, there doesn't seem to be any truth, right? People say, well, I can make my own truth. You make your own truth. And, and just so I don't hurt you, you're fine with yours and mine. And, and it's relative and not so. Just as there are many versions of what the truth is about COVID or about anything that came to your mind earlier, there's many versions about who or what is the truth. Many gods out there claiming to be the truth, the way, the life, and that none of them are other than Jesus Christ. And we tend to have all these disagreements. If we don't know the truth, then we argue about sin and forgiveness and eternal life and who Jesus is, is he the son of God as the Bible says he is? Uh, and that's the foundation, by the way. The answer to that question is who is Jesus is the foundation. Let me tell you, Jesus is the truth. Simple and plain, Jesus is the truth. Why do I say that? Well, because he said that. So we see in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and, here it is, the truth. And the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. So, okay, so he's the truth, but the truth about what? Well, about everything, quite frankly, including sin and forgiveness. And the good news is that Jesus, the truth, will set you free. And again, why do I say these things? Because it's in the Bible. John 8 32, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, you're not imprisoned, you're not locked up somewhere, so, so what is it in the fact that you're free from? Sin. Many people say, hey, I'm pretty good, or, you know, I'm good enough, or I'm certainly better than so-and-so. I can determine right and wrong, so obviously I never sin, and since I'm doing that, you guys are all sinners. You all need to have a Savior, not me. And you don't look in the mirror. Because God's word very plainly says we all sin. And that separates us from God. You know, I get this image of a big balloon and trying to carry it around and a little tiny sewing needle, pop, or a giant railroad spike, pop. Doesn't matter what it is, it pops, right? Well, that separation that sin has between you and God, it's very, very real. And we've all fallen short. And what happens because of that? Well, the wage of sin is death. And yet the exciting part of this message for you in your life is the fact that Jesus has and is the antidote. You read about that in the next verse where it says the gift of God is eternal life. How, where do we get that? In Christ, Jesus our Lord. Now, unlike the COVID vaccine, uh, this antidote's 100% effective. It removes all of your sin and all of your consequences. So what's your end game when it comes to forgiveness and eternal life? By the way, there's only two options to this question. The first we read in 1 John 1.8. 1 
It says, if you claim to be without sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. Bad choice. Deadly consequences. But we've already read this next verse that comes right after that. If, you conf- if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now there's the best choice you can make. One more thought on this whole COVID kind of tie together here. When Sue and I got our first shots, the two, the two that we got from Pfizer back in March, we knew already, yeah, they're going to bring some more out because there's going to be some new variants that come along. And, and so last week we went and we got our booster shots. And as we were going there, we were talking about, yeah, probably going to have to go back for more when more of this stuff comes around. And truth be told, you don't have to do that with Jesus Because for your sins, it is paid for 100%. His one act on the cross was the antidote for our sinfulness. And it's a free gift to us. Now, that's the great message to have. And yet, if we open our eyes as we walk out of here and look around, this world is messed up. Jamie read a section earlier. and, and, And so go back thousands of years and see if it doesn't sound like they're writing this today. This is in Galatians. Uh, It says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And then listen to this list. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ouch, right? What a terrible list. But look around, it's evident. I gotta tell you, when I, when I see the news about shootings and, and crime and evil, I just wanna sit down and cry and just shake my head. There's disorder in our, in our country, there's disunity. There's divisiveness and divisions. There's an us versus them mentality. There's an us versus the world. And I, I just can envision God sitting there shedding tears as he looks at what's happening to his creation. I pray for many of you as you ask for prayer requests and stuff throughout the day, but there's a prayer that I think is imperative that we should all really be focusing on. I pray to the Lord that we are healed as a nation, that we're healed as a world. Healed from what? Hatred, violence, divisiveness, self-centered entitlement, evil, you imagine how great the world would be if those things, that junk wasn't in our lives anymore? And then the very next verse tells us how that can happen. It goes on to say that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, gifts from God in and through us into the world. And once I read that, really am reminded that Jesus is the antidote for all that ails us, and he can heal all and any of our sinful characteristics. Now, by the way, the word antidote, the definition is a medicine to counteract a particular poison. In this case, that poison is our sinful nature. So how does it show up in our lives? Well, a number of ways. One is hatred. I mean, think about that word, how common we use that word. Look around, that group hates that group, and that group hates another group, and another group hates this group, and it's awful. And the opposite of hatred is love. And so the antidote for hatred is God's love in you and through you. 
Bible says God is love, an unconditional agape love. Now imagine what the world would look like if we followed God's word in regards to love. We see in Mark 12, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. There's love. And then second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Monday, Thursday, Jesus got down in love and humility and he washed the disciples' feet hours before he was going to go on trial and die for your sin. I'd point to each one of you and to myself. That's ultimate love. And then he told them right away, now I want you to show that love to others. A new command I give you, love one another. So I've loved you, you must love one another. I guess everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. So I want you to get personal in your mind for a moment here and just think. Are you combating hatred in the world around you by reflecting God's love into the world around you? It starts with you, by the way. What situations come to your mind about hatred being replaced by love? Or how about violence? My goodness gracious, it's everywhere. Not only in real life, but in the movies that we feed ourselves every day. The opposite of violence is peace. So the antidote for violence is God's peace. God's peace. Adam and Eve, right? They messed up and everything changed. And there's been violence ever since. Cain killing Abel. This group hates that group. And and on and on and on. And there's violence everywhere. And I think we wish we could just rub a genie in a bottle and get a free wish and I want world peace is probably what you would ask for after you wanted to win the lottery probably. But anyway, it's in that list there. But see, it's interesting to me that in a couple months we're going to celebrate Christmas, right? And we're going to celebrate the fact that God, not a genie, God gave us that peace in his son who is the prince of peace. Jesus came to be the prince of peace to give us peace And then we learn about it again in that section we've looked at a minute ago, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. That peace is the peace of Jesus Christ in your life. And then after he gives us peace, he wants us to now to go out and make peace through us. Here is your marching order. This is what God has brought peace into your life for. It's in 1 Corinthians 5. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. But here it is. Put your name in this us, this next us, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And here it is again. Put your name in where it says us. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. See, we're therefore Christ's ambassadors. We represent Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. Isn't that kind of neat to think about? We're agents of peace in a messed up world. And so, again, making this personal to you. Are you an ambassador of peace for the Lord? It starts with you in your circle of influence. Do others see you as a peacemaker? Who do you need to go out of here and make peace with? Another of those things that are out there, the evils that are out there, the pandemic that's out there is divisiveness, the us versus them society that we live in. And the opposite of divisiveness and dissension, well, it's Christian unity. That's what we need more of, Christian 
unity. And, and if you think about it, God handmade every person ever made, right? He died on a cross for the sins of every person that they'll ever make, and he longs for people to know him as Lord and Savior. And then he wants us to play nice together. Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And as Christians, we need to be unified to glorify God, and it starts in his church. 2 Corinthians, finally brothers, brothers, sisters, children of God, okay, you got the point, this is us as Christians, finally brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Isn't that an incredible concept that God gives to us, a challenge he gives to us? And remember, when he tells you to love other people, that includes people that don't look like you or don't speak like you or don't think like you and even the ones you really don't like because we are all in this together. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female. We are all one in Christ. Again, for you to think about. Are you seen as someone who unifies? Or are you seen as someone who divides? It starts with you. Who do you need to reach out to in Christian unity? And then I think the root of all sin really comes down to this phrase, self-centered entitlement. Right? Self-centered entitlement. The world revolves around me, around my wants, that's really the definition of sin, by the way, self-centeredness. And yet, I think that God has blessed us with the law and the gospel to get us through this. The antidote for self-centered entitlement is law and gospel. First, the problem that we see. People feel they're entitled to things. That people get what they want, when they want, and how they want. It's nothing new. James writes about it in chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You don't have because you don't ask God, and when you ask God, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. And you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Now, you might have been tracking with my opposite words here I'm using. You might say, well, I don't get this self-centered entitlement and law and gospel. I'm not sure I understand all that. Well, what do you deserve? What are you entitled to? Well, unfortunately, the law says what you're entitled to is death. That's what we're entitled to. The wages of our sin are death. Ouch, we don't like that one, do we? The law always convicts us. And then the sweet gospel comes along. That sweet, sweet, sweet gospel comes along. The good news. The good news. It tells us that we're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came from Christ. Have you embraced the reality that on your own you lose? On your own, it's not so good? That's the law working in your life. And then the gospel comes along. By faith you are saved. God 
doesn't give you what you deserve, which is death and separation. Instead, he gives you what you don't deserve. Have you embraced that reality of grace and mercy in your life? Have you thought about your sinfulness? Have you thanked the Lord for his unconditional love for you? Who do you offer that grace to? Who needs to hear that from you? And finally, the word that just really encompasses everything we've talked about today, and that's the word evil. You know, the dictionary defines evil as profoundly immoral and wicked, something in opposition to good and to God. The opposite of evil is good, and so the antidote for evil is God-centered good. I know you've all heard that uh, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. We hear that. I think sometimes it's just a nice little phrase and we don't really let it sink in. I got a couple of nifty little verses that are, are not so often used, and, and I want to show them to you. Nahum 1.7, listen to this. The Lord is good, a refuge in time of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. See, God is good. Or First Chronicles 16.34, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. His love endures forever. Or Psalm 145, verse 9, the Lord is good to all. His compassion on all he made. A lot of evil in the world, and yet we say the Lord's Prayer, and what do we ask for there? Deliver us from evil, right? Or we love the Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. God is good, and he's the giver of all that is good. The question is, are you an agent of good or an agent of evil in your circle of influence? It starts with you. Who do you know trapped in evil that needs this antidote of Jesus Christ? So is the world messed up? Yeah, yeah, that's a downer. We need to own that fact. And yet God is the antidote for everything that ails you. And he wants to work in you so that he can work through you to offer love and joy and peace to the world around you, your circle of influence. But you got to be on guard against the evil that is out there. As we look forward to this incredible day, we're going to be face to face with the Lord in his heavenly kingdom Words can't describe this, and yet Revelation helps us get a picture. It says he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There's no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And here it is, the old order of things, all this yucky stuff, has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write it down. These words are trustworthy and true. Doesn't that sound awesome? Something to look forward to? None of the things that we talked about today, the evil that's out there, the reality is that the antidote for all that ails us is Jesus as your personal Savior. Get that? As your personal Savior. And then once you have the antidote, share it. Live it. Let it spew out from you to other people. Be his ambassador. Be his agent of peace. And look for others that you can reach out to. So some action steps that might help you as you move forward from here. Number one, are you ready to say, I will turn to the Lord as my antidote for sinfulness? First of all, you got to own that you have a sinful problem, and then that Jesus is offering forgiveness, eternal life. He's your antidote. The law and gospel we talked about. 
Secondly, are you ready to reflect God's love into a hurting world? Who can you reflect what we just talked about to somebody that needs to hear it, somebody that needs to see it? And then are you ready to embrace the reality of sin and God's grace? Are you able to do an honest confession? No blaming, no excuses, just, Lord, this is a sin. You call it a sin. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Lord, you're the way, you're the truth, and you're the life. Help us find our peace and our relationship with you. Help us to be used by you to heal a broken world. May we reflect your love, your peace, your unity and goodness in the way we talk, in the way we act, in those we come in contact with. Lord, let us turn to you as the antidote in this sin-filled world. Amen.